Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Thank you so much for joining me. This is the podcast The Endurance of Labor Laws. I'm your lovely host Leslie Sullivan. Today is episode 151 and today we're going to take a look at the National Women's Soccer League, the NWSL. I was going to do part 3 of the DEA, but unfortunately half of that recording uh, got deleted or disappeared. So until we can recover that footage, we are going to move on to other topics because we don't want to leave you guys hanging. But again, the DEA uh, part 3 is in the works and once we get that finished up and restored, we will post that uh to the podcast so you can listen to it. But in the meantime, we will move on. Uh but first of all, let me give a big shout out to my listeners because as usual, you guys are awesome. So a big shout out to Oklahoma, California, New York, Texas, Kansas, Pennsylvania, Colorado and Oregon. In terms of countries, the United States, Uzbekistan and the Russian Federation. Okay, so today we're going to take a look at the National Women's Soccer League. I knew absolutely nothing about this league, but I am very grateful for it because they really helped to protect these women's salaries and to help them get paid way more. Because it was it was so shocking to me how much they did not get paid. It was horrible. I just thought it was completely disgraceful because I thought, you know what? If NFL players had to get paid what these women got paid, oh my gosh, they would have filed an antitrust lawsuit in in, in the blink of an eye. And it's so sad to me how much women do not get paid. And it reminds me of the 50s, 60s and 70s in terms of uh unfair labor practices and inequality in regards to men and women and their and their pay. That's what this remind me of because male soccer players get paid way more. They've been getting paid way more for a longer period of time than female players. And I think that's very sad. Now I do want to mention that soccer that type of business and earning an income is in the private sector which means it is within capitalism. So let me say this, I don't know very many people that actually watch uh, women's soccer, but I do know they watch the NFL. So it's one of those things that you have to have the money there in order to pay your players, but here's the thing, somebody was getting paid, but it wasn't always these female players and I think that's very sad because they definitely deserved to get paid way more than what they were initially getting paid. But let's go ahead and dive into this. So this league was founded November 21st, 2012. They're only located in one country and that is the United States. They are a part of a confederation, which I'm a little concerned about that, but I also understand why they are a part of it. It is the CONCACAF, really long title there, but that is the Confederation of North Central America and Caribbean Association Football. And it says here um that this particular association is one of FIFA's six continental governing bodies for association football so that's why I understand they are affiliated with them and associated with them I completely understand uh to date um the women's soccer league has 12 teams let's see here in terms of league cups they have the NWSL Challenge Cup the current champions as of 2021 are the Washington Spirit Let's see here the 2022 uh current shield winners I guess you want to call them is OL Rain. Let's see here in terms of TV partners that would be CBS and Twitch. I did not know what Twitch was, but Twitch is an American video live streaming service that focuses on video game live streaming including broadcasts of esports, which would make sense why they're involved with this competitions in addition to offering music broadcasts. creative content and in real live streams. 
What does concern me is that they are a subsidiary of Amazon.com. Amazon concerns me a little bit, and this is just a side note. Amazon concerns me because they've been trying to get involved in healthcare and prescriptions, and I don't think they should be involved in that because that is not their that's not their industry. I think they should leave pharmaceuticals and our healthcare industry alone because the only reason why they want to get in it is to make millions if not billions of dollars. Like I don't think they're in it to actually help the patient. And if anything, patients don't need people they don't need more people driving up the cost of goods. We actually need more competition. And Amazon is one of these companies that I don't think they would hardly tolerate any competition once they get involved in stuff like this. So just FYI, be aware of Amazon. Is it a good company? Yes, but I just don't agree with everything that they that their tentacles branch out to. Because if you remember, um, Amazon I think used to just be a book company, like where it just sold books, and then it expanded out to goods, which is fine. Um, but they kind of were in direct competition with eBay for the longest time, and now I feel like Amazon has surpassed eBay because eBay is kind of the Not to diss eBay because I'm not dissing it, but it's kind of like where you buy a lot of used goods and things like that. It's it's not really known for quality. Amazon is known for quality and for its its shipping. So just FYI, be aware of that as well. In regards to this women's soccer league, it says the National Women's Soccer League, also known as NWSL, is a professional women's soccer league at the top of the United States league system. It is owned by the teams. That's good. and until 2020 was under a management contract with the United States Soccer Federation. So it says here the NWSL was established in 2012 as the successor to women's professional soccer. Now I had heard of that. And it says which was itself the successor to Women's United Soccer Association. I did not know about that. The league began to play in 2013 with 8 teams. That's good there and then as of 2022 they have 12 teams across the United States. I want to talk a little bit about their pay structure cuz um their founding is is kind of dense. It it talks about all this different stuff that I don't think is it's relevant but it it's not eye catching to me. Um but I want to talk about a little bit about their teams. I'm just going to read off some information about their teams and then we'll talk about their salaries cuz that really shocked me in the negative so to speak. Um the first team is Angel uh Angel City FC. Its location is in Los Angeles, California, and their stadium of choice is Bank of California Stadium. Uh the seating capacity is 22,000. The team was founded in two, or 2020 and then I guess it joined I don't know if that means it joined the league in 2022. I'm not really sure what that means. The next one is Chicago Red Stars. Their location is in Bridgeview, Illinois. Their stadium of choice is Seat Geek Stadium. Whatever Seat Geek means, I how much you want to bet that was started by some business person and they just thought up some stupid name. I'll have to look that up. Um but the seating capacity for that stadium is 20,000. The next team is Houston Dash. Their location is Houston, Texas and their stadium of choice is PNC Stadium. The capacity is 7,000. The next team is Kansas City Current, uh obviously located in Kansas City, Kansas. Their stadium of choice is Children's Mercy Park. The seating capacity is 18,467. The next team is New Jersey, New York, Gotham FC. I think that's cool. Like Gotham City, like Batman, that's really cool. Um they are headquartered out of Harrison, New Jersey. Their uh, arena of choice or their stadium of choice is Red Bull Arena. 
It has a capacity of 25,000 people. The next team is North Carolina Courage. I like that. Um, they, are, they are located out of Cary, North Carolina. Their stadium of choice is Wake Med Soccer Park. It has a seating capacity of 10,000. The next one is O.L. Rain. They are located out of Seattle, Washington. Their stadium of choice is Lumen Field. The seating capacity is 10,000. The next team is Orlando Pride, and they are based out of, obviously, Orlando, Florida. Their stadium of choice is Exploria Stadium. The seating capacity is 25,500. The next team is Portland Thorns FC, obviously located out of Portland, Oregon. Their stadium of choice is Providence Park. The seating capacity is 25,218. The next team is Racing Louisville FC, obviously located out of Louisville, Kentucky. Their stadium of choice is Lynn Family Stadium. It has a seating capacity of 15,304. The next team is San Diego Wave FC, obviously based out of San Diego, California. Um, they have two different stadiums of choice, uh, Torero Stadium and then Snapdragon Stadium. Um, Torero Stadium has a seating capacity of 6,000. Snapdragon Stadium has a seating capacity of 32,000. Interesting there. That's really large. The last team is Washington Spirit, obviously located out of Washington, D.C., and they have two different fields they play from. It's not necessarily a stadium, but it says Audi Field, which has a seating capacity of 20,000, and then Segra Field, which has a seating capacity of 5,000. So I guess those are stadiums, but I guess they're calling it a field. I'm not really sure, so let me see. Well, from the picture, it looks like a, like a football stadium, like it's not like a super fancy one. As opposed to the Bank of California Stadium. Let me see if I can see one of these other stadiums. You know, these other stadiums are kind of fancier, so I kind of feel like whenever they say a field, it's more like, it looks like just like a college football field, like not super fancy. Not dissonant, but that's just kind of what it looks like to me when I look at it. Now, what I do want to talk about is that、um, their teams have expanded, which obviously they have incorporated more and more teams. So I want to talk about. Their salaries and, and take a look at this. Okay, so we're going to take a look at 2013 all the way up to today, 2022. So we have three different columns, and the first column is salary cap. The second column is minimum salary requirements, like what, they, what the minimum is they're supposed to pay them. Also, the third column is the maximum that they can pay them in terms of salary limits. Okay? So in 2013, the salary cap for players was $200,000. It says here the minimum that a player was required to be paid was $6,000. The maximum was $30,000 that they could be paid, and they had no allocation money. And I want to make a, a clear definition here. So, in regards to the salary cap, from what I understand, that's not per player. So, there's a salary cap of $200,000. And then the reason why there's a minimum or a maximum is because they are required to pay players, at least in 2013, a minimum of $6,000, but they cannot pay more than $30,000 per player, is what I understand from this. Now, can you imagine an NFL football player putting up with that when they make millions a year, 
millions a year just from their contract. And also, you know, these players, they were not allowed allocation money until 2020. So then we move on to 2014. The salary cap was $265,000. The minimum that they were required to pay uh, soccer players that are female was $6,600. The maximum they could pay was $31,500. Like, administrative assistants make more money than these players. That's really sad. Let's move on to the year 2015. 2015, it's the same salary cap, $265,000. The minimum they're required to pay the players was $6,842. The maximum was $37,800. Again, basically a receptionist could make more than that. Moving on to 2016, the salary cap was $278,000. The minimum salary that they were required to pay the players was $7,200. The maximum they could pay them was $39,700. Allocation money, non-existent. 2017, the salary cap was $315,000. The minimum salary was $15,000. The maximum salary for the players was $41,700, so they're moving up a little bit, but not much. Still making basically an, an office job salary. Um, 2018, the salary cap was $350,000. The minimum they were required to pay the players was $15,750. The maximum they could pay was $44,000. So again, kind of low for the talent that they have. 2019, The salary cap was $421,500. The minimum they were required to pay the players was $16,538. The maximum they could pay was $46,200. Again, no allocation money. The next year, 2020, the salary cap was $650,000, so it goes up quite a bit. The minimum salary is $20,000. The maximum salary is $50,000. And in this year, they have $300,000 for allocation money. In 2021, the salary cap was set at $682,500. The minimum salary uh, for these players to be paid was $22,000. The maximum was $52,500. The allocation money was $400,000. In the year 2022, the salary cap jumped. This is good. Uh, $1.1 million dollars. The salary minimum was listed as $35,000. The salary maximum was $75,000. And the allocation money was $500,000. Now, here's the thing. Can you imagine NFL players being okay with making $30,000 for a salary? I, I, it just makes no sense to me whatsoever. No, no sense. It just, it, the, the NFL players, they would file... They would file so many lawsuits, it's unbelievable. And then lecture the American people about salary. But yet they make way more than like 99% of the population of the United States. Um, so it's, it's very sad to me that these salaries have been so low for so long. But yet soccer is a very lucrative business. It's a very lucrative, uh, lucrative industry and sport, you know, not just for men, but also for women. Because I remember playing soccer when I was younger. I mean, I played, it wasn't super long, but I played for several years. I mean, you know, seasons or whatever. And you know, I always played a forward. Like, I was the person that scored all the time. And I was small compared to the majority of the players on the field. But, 
you know, it's a tough sport. It's hard. It is not easy. That field is long. And a lot of the other players were Amazons compared to my body size. So, you know, the, these, these types of, I hate to use this kind of word, but income disparity are very shocking to me. Because I don't think this should have ever happened because, I mean, this is, this is really sad that these numbers are, are so low, even just going back to something as recent as 2013. Like to me, these kind of salaries are like so low of like, you know, basically of what a woman would make in, in a job in the 70s or 80s, but yet they could have been making way more. It's just like, why are we still having these issues of pay for women in female sports? I don't understand that. That makes no sense to me because, again, the NFL would never put up with this. Never, never, never. But here's the thing. They, they have more lawyers, like they have more say. It's, it's kind of sad that, that it does matter who's in your court and who's in the other person's court. You know what I mean? In terms of like playing tennis is how I look at it. So I'm glad that, that their pay has increased. I think that's wonderful um, because they, you know, female athletes are no different than male athletes in that they only have so much time to earn a living. They really do. Because sports typically are for people in their 20s and 30s, maybe their 40s, but specifically in their 20s and 30s, that, that's when you make your money. Well, well, unfortunately for female soccer players, they were paying them peanuts for a long time. It's ridiculous. Like, I'm surprised they even offered them health insurance. I just think it's shocking. Like, here's what I don't get. Like, they're, they're paying them peanuts, but yet they're playing in stadiums that can seat almost 20,000 people, if not more. And a lot of times those stadiums are packed. So someone's getting the money and it's not the players. That's my point. So that's where I get concerned with stuff like this. And again, I'm not a Democrat. I'm not a liberal. I'm not a feminist. But again, I don't think you have to be a Democrat or a liberal or a feminist to be able to identify that this is income inequality based on sex. And that is a, that's a social status that has become a social stigma. That's where that bothers me a lot. Because I know what it's like to be discriminated against because of my sex, because I'm female, and because of my age. I, I was discriminated all the time in my 20s for being, quote, too young to make good money. So then <laughs> businesses purposely kept younger people poor because they thought the money should go to older people. Wow, that is age discrimination. Then another way that I was discriminated against, and sometimes I still get this, I was discriminated against because I wasn't married. Employers just thought, especially here in these Bible Belt states, that, well, if you're not married, you don't need that money. It needs to go to people that are actually procreating and popping out babies. It's like, no, 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 the job, the job description does not talk anything about sex or procreation or breeding. It's about the job. So I actually will need my money or I will take you to court. So just be aware of that. It's one of those things that you really have to stand up for yourself. But it's, it's, it's tough to stand up for yourself when, when you're fighting the status quo, if that makes sense. Like, like you're going against the norm. And even though the norm you know, could be completely wrong and offensive and just shocking, it's the norm.
And, and it becomes the, I guess, the business as usual kind of thing. Even though it shouldn't be like that, that's what it was like in my 20s and my early 30s. Now that I'm 38, I think people think I'm married, but I just don't wear my wedding band. Well, I'm not married yet. But it's one of those things people just kind of figure, oh, well, if you're close to 40, yeah, you're married. You just didn't want to wear your, red, your wedding ring maybe because you lost it or your fingers got fat, which my fingers are not fat. Not by any means, but you know, people, they just kind of have these weird ways of thinking about people that have reached the age 35 and are older. It's like 35 is like the new 55. It's weird, like how people try and age other people, especially when it comes to income and their job, and it usually leads to income inequality. And it's really shocking to me that this stuff happens and takes place because it has no business taking place in the United States. Other countries, I could totally see this happening. But in the United States, no, it's not appropriate. It's bizarre. And I didn't know that female soccer players were just treated like garbage in terms of their pay. I mean, just look at how much they have to exercise and practice and, and travel and do all this stuff. Like, their, their sport is their job. But yet they were not being paid appropriate wages for just basic living standards. I mean, can you imagine getting paid like $6,000 a year or something? That's pathetic. I mean, that's, I mean, that is so wrong. But you see, that's how the sporting industry in the United States, that's how they view women. Well, you're not as muscular or as talented as a man. It's like, well, we're not competing against men. We have our own sports for a, re a reason. And mind you, what I was going to say was that there are a lot of female sports that are now being infiltrated by transgender men, and then now there's not, there's not even equality within female sports anymore. And I just think, look, either you're a man or a woman. Here's the thing. You know, female athletes, they cannot compete with a transgender male. They just can't. I, I mean, I'll be the first to say it. We can't compete with that. I don't have the same body strength or skill or... speed or endurance as as a man. I just don't. Why? Because I'm a woman. So I just wish more women would speak up about the transgenderism agenda that is taking over female sports because you don't have transgender females trying to get into male sports. You have transgender men trying to get into female sports just so they can get scholarships and money and contracts. It's basically a form of lying. And that, that is wrong. It is totally wrong. And I don't understand why more people are not upset by this and are not calling these people out on it. I mean, if anything, I think it would be a better idea if transgenders had their own league, if they had their own sport. Because all they're trying to do is play the oh, woe is me card, but then try and steal someone else's scholarship And their championship, and I'm sorry, well, I'm not even sorry, thievery is thievery. And unfortunately, we have a lot of thievery taking place in high school sports, college sports, and some in adult sports. I think when it comes to transgenderism, it's a bigger problem in uh, sporting events or sporting teams that are at the college level and the high school level. Because technically these transgenders, they're living a lie. They're, they're not even living the life that God called them to live. That's why they're transitioning into something else, because they, they don't care to live 
the way that they're supposed to live, which is where if you're born a man, you're a man. If you're born a woman, you're a woman. There's nothing wrong with that. Absolutely nothing wrong with that. If someone doesn't understand their sexual identity, then, then go see a psychiatrist. Go see a counselor. Like, go get help. There's no shame in that. There's no, there's no shame or blame in that. By all means, go get help. But what I don't like is when these people that are messed up in the head get these weird, radical procedures done, then turn around and try to infiltrate the very sports that legally they cannot participate in. Like, how are, how are girls... How are women supposed to be successful, rightfully so, in their sports events if they've got to deal with some stupid guy pretending to be a woman, stealing all the glory, so to speak, like, like just stealing all the awards? It's not right. You know, I remember several years ago, I can't remember her name, but there was this woman, she was born a hermaphrodite. She was born with both male and female organs, but her female organs were more predominant. So whenever a baby is born like that, used to, the doctor would say, okay, you know, th- this baby is more female than male. It's supposed to be a female. So then they, they make it so that the, the female organs have a chance to grow. So they basically choose the sex, but it's really based on how developed which organs are, so to speak. Because whenever a hermaphrodite whenever a hermaphrodite is born, sorry that word is hard to say. It's never the case where they have both organs equally developed, whether they're both male and female, equally. That's not the case. Not the case at all. So what happened was with this one female athlete, she was born maybe with testicles or something, but she also had a uterus And she had all, all the other features of a woman, and, and she was more developed to be a girl. So the decision was made for her to be raised as a girl because that's technically what she is. Her hormones were more developed for females. So she was going to produce more estrogen than testosterone. Well, she was still producing testosterone more than a regular female. So she was in all these events as a, as a child, and it was very obvious that she was very masculine. She was very masculine. Very, very, very masculine. Well, um, what, what her parents did not tell people was that she actually, and I'm not saying they should have told people, but I'm saying that her parents were very deceitful in that they had her participating in girls' events when she was creaming every girl because she wasn't a normal girl. Like, she actually was producing more testosterone than a regular female because both males and females produce estrogen and testosterone. But what, what makes a woman a woman is that women produce more estrogen than testosterone, whereas men produce more testosterone than estrogen. Well, unfortunately for this woman, she was still producing more testosterone than the average woman, so she, was, she had all these muscles and stuff that are not normal for a woman, and so she's creaming all these girls And she actually competed, I think, at an Olympic level, if I remember correctly. And they found out that she was also technically part male. Even though her genitalia was that of a female, she was actually more part male because of the testosterone that was being produced. So she lost her medal. And it's like, you know what, if you know that... you are producing more testosterone than the average girl, then I would think you would know that it's not fair to play against other girls 
and her parents knew this, they're being deceitful. You, 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 how do I describe this? You know when it's not a fair fight is what I'm trying to say. And so this girl, or hermaphrodite, whatever she is, I don't really understand what, um, she lost her medal, and she should have, because you know, they, they, did, um, they did this blood test they do on Olympic uh, athletes, and she was producing so much testosterone that she was like borderline man or whatever. And, you know, there is a spectrum, you know, like whenever you get blood tests done, and let's say, for example, they're testing antibodies or something. Well, well there's a range of what is considered acceptable antibodies and what is not considered acceptable or what is considered too low or too high, that kind of thing. Well, what they're testing on that blood work is they're looking to see, and probably to their surprise, okay, how much estrogen... Are they producing and how much testosterone are they producing and what is considered normal for a female? So they have these ranges or a spectrum of what is considered normal for a woman to produce in terms of her levels of estrogen and testosterone. And what they found with this hermaphrodite was that her testosterone was that of a man. Even though she had estrogen, she was predominantly male in terms of her hormones. And so it wasn't a fair fight. against these other female athletes, and so she lost her medal. Well, you can't tell me she didn't know that, because all you have to do is look at a picture of her, and she looks like a transgender man. And yet she competed in all these female events. And, you know, that, that comes down to her parents teaching her and promoting dishonesty. I mean, it's, it's like, well, it's not like. It actually is rigging a game. Like, if it's wrong to rig a boxing game, then it's wrong to, to lie about yourself like that and claim to be completely a girl, completely a woman, but yet you've got all this testosterone for whatever reason, whether it's medically necessary or not. Okay, well, you're not really a woman. And I, and I can understand, you know, where this person might be coming from where, hey, you know, I was born this way. Well, that's true. But just because you're born a certain way, that doesn't give you permission to lie, to cheat, to steal, and make it seem like you're a woman when you're not. If anything, this, this hermaphrodite, she's in between. I guarantee you she cannot reproduce, at least not naturally. Most hermaphrodites cannot reproduce because something happened in the womb where their, their genitalia was not formed correctly. And if it's not formed correctly, it won't function properly, and they will not produce the right hormones or the right cells in order to either A, carry a baby to term, or B, produce sperm to impregnate a woman. So it's kind of like, well, that's, that's the hand you've been dealt. That's just what it is. But it doesn't give you permission to basically break the rules of a sporting event or of a competition. So needless to say, I do know there are some female soccer players. Some of them look like guys, and I don't know what's going on with that. But I will say this. There are some women that are very much more masculine-looking than others. But I would still want them to get tested to see, okay, are they really a woman or are they kind of more of a man? Because if they're more of a man in terms of hormones, then they, shouldn't, they should not be participating in a female sport. Because it's, it's not fair. It just isn't. 
And I'm not the kind of person to say, oh, it's not fair, it's not fair. In this particular case, it would not be fair. Like, for example, you know, I'm, I'm five foot five and I'm a female. There's no way that I could go up against a woman, quote unquote woman that's five foot eight, but is predominantly male. Like, there's no way I, I could fight that person. Not unless, you know, God intervened for me, which he can do, but it's just one of those things. If it's not a fair fight, it's not a fair fight. And if you're going to compete in a sport, you need to have sportsmanlike conduct. And, and if you're having to lie about who you are, then, then that is unsportsmanlike conduct and that is a big issue. Because then, then it taints the very, the very sport that you're playing, which is very unfortunate. Um, but anyway, I want to mention that because it is important um, because you know, sometimes you know, we, we see these women and they just look a little too butch. And I've noticed that in uh, women's soccer as well as in softball, like lesbians are a dime a dozen in women's softball. And I think that's very unfortunate um, because it's, first of all, it's creepy. And secondly, um, it's, I think it makes it very difficult to recruit young women when, when you've got a bunch of lesbians that have taken over a type of sporting event. I think that's wrong because we had problems with lesbians on our school softball team. And this was way back in the late 90s, early 2000s, because there were some really talented softball players that quit because they're like, man, I can't handle these lesbians. It's, it's gross. It's, it's weird. They've got their own clique. They've got their own way of doing things. And it's, it just makes it very intimidating for regular heterosexual women. And I think that's very unfortunate because then it's like, it's like the gaze against the straights. And it shouldn't be like that because sports, sports should not be about what your sexuality is in terms of whether you're gay or straight. It shouldn't be about that. But unfortunately, the homosexual agenda, when it takes over a sporting event or it takes over a sporting industry or a league, it just really kills it. It just really destroys it. it and it also... interferes with people having normal families. It just really does. I remember that happening. I just thought, well, mental note, don't ever play softball, at least not for my school. So needless to say, when I played sports, um, I played cross country, track and field, soccer, tennis, and I did some basketball, but basketball was in a private league, not in a school league, because it, it was too clicky, and I, didn't, I did not get along with those girls. I was like, these aren't my friends. Why would I want to play with them? Like, they were kind of mean. I kind of felt like they had already created friendships before I tried out for the team. So I was like, eh, this really isn't my kick. This really isn't where I want to be and who I want to hang out with. And plus, I wanted to be more involved in playing the piano and the violin because um, I was already doing singing. So I did sports as well because to me it was kind of like free therapy. <laughs> you know, you get to be outside. You know, you get to have camaraderie. But I, but I, I realized that... Hey, if there's not camaraderie you know, from the beginning, you're probably not going to have camaraderie up until the very end of the season. Because I remember playing on a couple of different basketball teams that were horrible. We did not have camaraderie. It was bitter. It was horrible. The coach was awful. And it was just, it was like pulling teeth to get anything to function correctly and for people to be kind. And I'll close with this. A lot of these girls, a bad behavior came from how they were raised by their parents. And it was really sad. 
Because it was one of those things that I, I would ask myself, why do some of these girls act like this? Like, where is this behavior coming from? And then you meet their parents and you go, oh, now I get it. You know, they, they, they get it from who they're around all the time and therefore they don't see anything wrong with it. So just FYI, be aware of that. And if you're a parent of some kids and you're playing all these sports or your kids are playing all these sports, please be aware of the impact you have on your child's behavior and their character. Because if you're not helping them to build character, then you're helping them to destroy it. That's what I've learned, and I'm not even a parent. And I'm just speaking from what I remember as a child and meeting some really weird kids. Because what's interesting is that I played on school leagues and private leagues. So I got to meet people from all walks of life. I got to meet so many people, and some of the parents were just bizarre. Just absolutely strange. And I thought, you know, these kids are probably going to grow up to be just as weird as their mother or their father. That's typically what happens because usually the apple does not fall far from the tree. So anyway, um, I will go ahead and end this podcast as usual until next time. I pray that you're happy, healthy, and whole, that you have a wonderful day and a wonderful week. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Still